Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me, you can reach me at uh, Twitter at ILTM Podcast. We also have an Instagram, I Love That Movie Podcast. And if you uh, want to find some film lovers and, and chat about your favorite films judgment-free, we have a Facebook group just called I Love That Movie. It's a, um, a closed group, but just send me a request, I'll add you. My only rule in there is keep it positive. Um, and we have a Discord, too, if you hate Facebook, so you can join us on there and chat. Um about the show and just about your favorite films. Uh, and if you want to support us on Patreon, we now have a Patreon. And I want to take a second to, to uh, thank my top patrons, Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Michael Cross, and Joseph George. Thank you guys so much for all you do. Of course, the show is free. The only Benny is if you join our Patreon, you get a bonus episode where I do a weekly roundup about movies and TV and fun stuff like that. So join us on there. Uh, and then lastly, last two quick plugs, we've got a Teespring. So if you want to grab some I Love That Movie swag, we always have that available too. And uh, coming up on December 4th, John Cleese will be in town in Dallas at the Texas Theater at seven o'clock um he's receiving the ernie kovacs award and if you're not sure what that is i actually have an episode on it so if you want to go back in my uh, archive and look for that it's uh really cool um and that's going to be a really fun night and i'll be telling you guys more about that soon but if you want to buy tickets that's in the show notes so come out it's going to be a great night um and and now i want to introduce my guest i think this is your first time on this show david uh you're from the uh dc on screen podcast and the star trek universe podcast so say hi david hi david (laughs) am i the only person who's done that please tell me i'm i'm no it's it's literally every episode (laughs) (laughs) i mean i set it up it's low-hanging fruit so (laughs) so david uh we've chatted on twitter for a while and you and like i said you have your own podcast i've listened to your dc on screen podcast it's awesome um but yeah this is your first time on uh why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience um I'm David C. Robertson, like she said, DC On Screen podcast, Star Trek Universe podcast. Uh, I've been a geek for as long as I can remember. I think the first thing I remember was probably Star Trek. Um, and um, I've been watching movies and television way too much uh, ever since. <laughs> You're in good and, company. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been podcasting for about five years now. Awesome. Um and before that, I was uh, for about two or three years. I was doing a uh, a radio show. Um, oh, cool! So, so you have a lot of podcasting experience. That's great. yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Star Trek's my first uh, fandom love as well. I feel like that was what turned me into a geek. So, 
definitely have to check that show out. And I and we were talking about earlier, you like Discovery, so that, that hooked me even more because I'm always looking for other Discovery fans, so that's awesome. I do. It hurts my feelings sometimes because I, I love I love the original series aesthetic so much. Like I'm so attached to that like old school look. I just have to headcanon Discovery into an alternate reality. But <laughs> yeah, I still you know, enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and and the other thing is, too, like, that's how people felt about the next generation when it first came out. So it's like, to me, Star Trek is a big universe and uh, and there's room for different interpretations. But yeah. it's like I understand people's reservations, but I also just, also just feel like there's so much there and it's exciting and I want other people to jump on board. So I love I love that. Which one well, was your first Trek? Uh, the first one that I really got into, like, the first one that I ever saw was probably, like, the Star Trek movies, and then, of course, I was a kid when the uh, Next Generation was popular, but my first Star Trek that I really fell in love with was actually Deep Space Nine. Oh, yes, you and I will get along <laughs> fine. Yes, okay, well, if you ever need a guest, I'm available, because <laughs> right. I love talking about Star Trek. Um, <laughs> but we're not talking about Star Trek today, weirdly enough. We're not. Uh, you would think that from our conversation. But uh, David, our guest always picks the movie, so what, what movie did you pick today? I picked, um, I, you know, oddly, I would do a DC show, Star Trek show, my favorite my two favorite movies of all time are the Blues Brothers and High Fidelity. And I, I initially, when we talked, said Blues Brothers, but then I switched it to High Fidelity. Oh my gosh, I love the Blues Brothers. It's like one of my top ten. <laughs> really? But uh, okay. yeah, yeah, which is weird because my top ten's <laughs> all over the place, but um, <laughs> it's always changing too. But it's it's up there, so I love that. Um, but yeah, High Fidelity. So I uh, so when did you first see this movie? I saw it um, in in March of two thousand in the theater. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Were, were you like a fan of the book, or? I didn't know the book at the time. Okay. I was uh, sixteen, so. Oh I'm, wow! I'm, you were like the perfect age for this movie. <laughs> a little bit, like I feel like, I was actually the perfect age for this movie when I was in college, and I think that's when mm. I liked the movie the most. Oh, when gotcha. it just really resonated with me, but, um, it's you know. I think I saw some TV spot where Jack Black was, you know, they kept rerunning that one little scene where the guy comes in and asks for, uh, I just called to say, I love you. And he's like, there's no way your daughter likes that song. Oh, what, what, oh is yeah. she in a coma? <laughs> and that was, that was the TV spot. So I was just uh, like, Oh, I need to see that. That's, that looks great. And then, uh, opening weekend came and I remember watching, um, I know I'm dating myself terribly here. But uh, Friday with Rita Sever, those Friday night shows, whatever they were, they on NBC, mm-hmm. uh, they would tell us what the what all the new releases did over the weekend. Yeah. Over the last weekend, and I saw High Fidelity did you know six million dollars, and I was like, oh, that's so bad, that's terrible. <laughs> I was like, I know I've got to support this thing in the theater, and it it didn't do well, but. <laughs> It's one of those that didn't do like the word didn't get out, and the, it was marketed really poorly. Like I was looking at the uh, trailer on on my uh, Blu-ray here, uh-huh. and it's just like awful. It's <laughs> they're like Rob had a successful business and a loyal following, and it shows like all the people in his store in the one scene, and then like all the people in the club from his like record release, and I'm like that's not that didn't happen in the movie at all. 
Oh, gosh. <laughs> They're like, but the one area he never could master was love. And, uh, it's like not uh, even what's happening. It's like the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I, if I'd ever seen this trailer, I would have never seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it's about a popular record store owner. Like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, I, I know I've seen this movie before, or at least seen pieces of it. But I've never, like, I don't think I've ever sat down and, and given it my full attention and watched it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I love when that happens because it's like, you know, I'm, I'm catching up <laughs> on all the stuff I'm supposed to be seeing, I feel like. Because th- this movie, I think, also came out when I was 16 as well. Because I think I graduated in 02. Mm-hmm. Getting so old now, I'm like, when did I graduate high school? But, um, but yeah, so I, it, it flew over my head. I, I did not watch it. Um, in theaters but uh watched it the other or actually two ni- two nights ago and i really enjoyed it um it's su- it's such a movie like of its time and i really like that it definitely made me it, it made me kind of sad in a way in some ways like missing those days when i would just sit around and listen to music i don't mm-hmm. do that anymore i don't have time and i was telling my my husband that um it sounds like a stupid complaint, but there's almost <laughs> too much music. Like I have a Spotify account that paid for, and mm-hmm. I can listen to whatever I want. And yet it's like overwhelming. It's like when I go to pick up something, it's, you know, I've got the whole world at my fingertips. I don't even know where to start. Um, and so part of me wishes I had that, you know, mixtapes like I used to. <laughs> and like, I know I could make a playlist, but it's just so different. Like everything about music is so different now than it was in 2000. So it's just, I don't know. It's like a, it's definitely like a time capsule of a movie. Yeah. It's like back when I first saw this movie, my relationship with with music was I didn't have access to really anything like mm-hmm. I was listening to classic rock stations a lot and yeah. like going back and like I spent my teenage years just going back man just going back and trying to figure out what I liked based you know in the past uh-huh. and I, all my friends were like oh it's old I don't want to listen to that I'm like <laughs> but this really good stuff yeah. Uh, and I'd gotten into Bob Dylan and, and you know, uh, actually through the Wallflowers and uh, Tom Petty was a is a, was and is a big one for me. So, mm-hmm. but as I got into college, like I had those friends who were like kazaing it up and like burning me discs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and what I think one of the, um, and I didn't know it at the time, but a couple years later, I came to meet my, my friend Spencer, who is now my, uh, my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. But he was Dick. He is Dick. He acts like Dick. <laughs> he would just be like, "Hey, you know, I, I got the new Bright Eyes album. I'll just burn it for you." And he burned me like three Bright Eyes albums, <laughs> and I just kept like <laughs> thinking, like I could hear Rob's voice in my head going, "Like, yeah, I haven't really absorbed that one yet." But um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but then I started really listening to it and me and my sister super got into Bright Eyes and we wound up going with him to like Nashville like three or four different times to the oh Ryman Auditorium. And we saw him uh, in downtown Birmingham. But, uh, yeah, it's just, um, but yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I, I really like music and uh, I, I love this movie for it. Like it wasn't until years later that I realized how much Bob Dylan was in the movie. 
Mm-hmm. And that just made me, because Bob Dylan's like my top, my favorite recording artist, so. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to, uh, <laughs> before we go forward, I'm going to go ahead and do the synopsis, and then I'll drop a couple of quick facts, including some about Bob Dylan. Awesome. Uh, but uh, so here's the synopsis. Again, I always say to you guys, if you haven't seen the movie yet, go ahead and watch it because we're going to spoil it. But uh, here we go. Rob Gordon is the owner of a failing record store in Chicago where he sells music the old fashioned way on vinyl. Although they have an encyclopedic knowledge of pop music and are consumed by the music scene, it's of no help to Rob, whose needle skips the love groove when his longtime girlfriend, Laura, walks out on him. As he examines his failed attempts at romance and happiness, the process finds him being dragged, kicking and screaming into adulthood. I feel like that, for me, that like perfectly summed up this movie. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I like, I don't know, like I really, um, you, you were saying earlier that you saw it when you were 16, but you feel mm-hmm. like your appreciation grew when you were older. This is definitely a movie that you appreciate a lot more, I think, if you're an adult. Probably if you're past the point that this poor guy's in, but we've all kind of been there. <laughs> and so I just, I always enjoy movies like this where someone needs to just grow the F up. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's like the movie started kind of going one direction for me and I was like, uh-oh. And then it, it, it did exactly what I wanted it to do and it ended up where it should. And I really enjoyed that. Um, the the name High Fidelity is also the name of it. I don't have to tell you this, but I'm telling the audience <laughs> is the name of an Elvis <laughs> Costello song, which is about an ex-girlfriend with a new boyfriend, which yeah. I am so surprised they didn't play that song in this movie. Yeah. Maybe they, I don't know. Maybe they couldn't get the rights to it or something. Maybe weird. not. It's weird to have that be the name of the movie, but then not have that song in the movie. And in one of the deleted scenes, they even mentioned Elvis Costello. Yeah. I, I think they, they mention it in the movie too. Cause I, I feel like, I feel like they said that. Maybe not. I'm probably making that up. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I And I wouldn't have known that. So like while you are a, a music buff, I am not. So when you were listening to classic rock, I was listening to 106.1, just so you know, the Kiss oh, FM. Hey, I, <laughs> so, I had trash that. pop music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens. I, 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 two years ago, all I was listening to was whatever the crap was on the radio, just Whatever yeah. the hell happened to pop on, and I, strangely, much to my you know, in my sister's dismay, my family's dismay, <laughs> uh, you know, they were like, "Well, oh, what are you listening to these days?" And I'm like, "Tay Tay, man, sell go, listening to the, <laughs> listen, to, listen to Demi, you know." And they're like, "What happened to you? You used to be an ind- <laughs> you know, independent listener." Yeah, Nick's always oh. trying to. He's always trying to save my music soul. He's always like. I just want you to listen to something good. <laughs> I'm like, you'll never fix me. You, I can't be fixed. I'm always going to listen to Beyonce. The end. Shake it um, off, Lisa. Shake it yes. off. <laughs> um, but uh, so I always feel kind of, uh, you know, daunted by some some of these facts. I'm always like, I know that Elvis Costello song. A lot of songs I feel like I know, mm-hmm. but I have to hear them. You know, I'm not as big of a fan. I'm working on it. I'm still working. I'm growing. Um but John Cusack originally wanted Bob Dylan for the Bruce Springsteen cameo, but Dylan was unavailable. And it's funny, mm. that's one of those things where it's like when you see it, you can't unsee it because, yeah, he cle- it clearly should have been Bob Dylan. I mean, I appreciate Bruce Springsteen being in it, but it's like yeah. he mentions Bob Dylan like every other word. <laughs> but you know what? I, they, I was reading that they had initially pitched 
that the way that the voiceover work would work instead of him, not the voiceover, instead of him talking to the camera all the time, like they were trying to figure out how to get some, as Stephen Frears put it, the best bits in the book uh, wow. into the movie. And the movie, the book was written in uh, first person. So they were trying to figure out how to get, make that work. And they came up with the idea of, or I think Cusack came up with the idea initially of him just like kind of walking around talking to Bruce Springsteen as the movie went. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That would have been a different take. I love the sarcastic into the camera stuff, though. I do, too. That really worked for me in this movie. So I, yeah, but it'd be interesting to see it that way, too. I like that. It, and I, I didn't think about that. The fact that it because it's a book, they have to come up with a way for him to say all this witty inner monologue without it being, you know, I think if he was just thinking it in his head or a voiceover, I wouldn't have liked that. I like the way that it was delivered in the film. And by the way, I absolutely adore the book. The okay, I've never fantastic. read the book, so that's cool. It's is <laughs> somehow better and not better. Like it's <laughs> it's one of those things where I was like I was really worried that I'm going to be like, "Oh man, I'm going to dislike the movie because if I like the book a whole lot, I'm going to be like, "Oh, the book was so much better." You always hear that. The book yeah. is so much better. Um but, you know, the It's just different. The book is actually surprisingly almost exactly the same oh like, okay the all most of pretty much all of rob's dialogue they just cut out like stuff like bollocks you know like yeah because <laughs> it was set in london right chicago yeah um what's funny is that in the record store you can also you can see their their rare their rare bin it's called rare bits and that totally oh, just sounds british it does <laughs> and it's funny the director's british and <laughs> <laughs> they made an American version of this movie. But yeah, yeah. I, I like it equally. Okay, I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, I um, I like that it's set in Chicago. Like, I was enjoying that about the film. And then when I read it was originally in London, it made me think, oh, I want to see that version now. I want to know what that version's like. So I, I should pick up that book. Um, and really, I, I don't ahead. mean to pitch you an entire universe here, but Nick Hornby's <laughs> books are great, and he will uh -huh. throw in little bits from the characters from High Fidelity, just kind of sprinkled throughout. So, oh, really? Uh, uh, his other books. So you'll, you know, someone will live in a flat next to Dick or something, and you'll get just like little more bits of character about Dick or something. Okay. You know, it's it's really interesting. I just uh, I dig that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Shared universe kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I also had that John Cusack uh, and the screenwriters wrote the script with Jack Black in mind for the role of Barry, and that he nearly turned it down but reconsidered. Yeah, 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 that's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> John Cusack didn't seem to have... Like, I, w I just watched all the special features last night uh -huh. again. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he did, He was like, yeah, I think he just felt like he wasn't going to do the role justice or something. But he said it really? in kind of an awkward way, so I'm kind of wondering if that was the real reason. Yeah, or, like, did he feel like it made him look silly? I don't know. It's hard to think that jack black wouldn't be excited about a role like this but i don't know it's interesting <laughs> yeah it i don't know this is it's, kind of strange to me yeah well there's a bunch of stars in this movie and i think what i want to do is uh we'll kind of talk about them as we go um let's see uh but as far as the director stephen frears have you seen any of his other work um i've only seen the grifters okay, okay. but i don't remember it at all yeah. Like, I'm a big Cusack fan, so, mm -hmm. you know, I, or at least I started out to be. 
if that makes any <laughs> sense. Like, yeah. at some point, around the point where he did contract with uh, the contract with Morgan Freeman, who I also love in movies, and then I sat down and watched that, and I was like, that is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Never again will <laughs> I be lured in by the by either of those names. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to figure something out. Have to be more discerning, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm not familiar with this director, and as far as John Cusack goes, yeah, I feel like he definitely had a big heyday, but I, I haven't gotten, like, super excited when I see his name on the title bill in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm probably in the same place. Yeah. Um, it's not better and, off dead, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes from the movie? You can go chronologically or out of order. Either way. Oh, man. I don't. (laughs) High Fidelity to me is one of those movies where I think it's perfect. Even the point where Laura's on the phone and I. This is going to sound stupid. She's on the phone in one scene and she the phone is clearly not plugged in. (laughs) I didn't notice that. (laughs) That's so funny. They do a close up of her with a phone. You can see the jack hole and there's just nothing in it. But oh I God. still love it because that is the phone I had when I was a teenager. Aw, yeah. I mean, again, it's like, it, it feels very, like when we were watching it, I even said the 90s. And then when I looked up 2000, my my stomach kind of sank. I'm like, ooh, dang, that was longer ago than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so, like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I the, the dialogue in this movie is just so wonderful that like mm-hmm. I little bits little phrases turns of phrase and stuff the way rob talks in this movie which you know i was delighted to see was just the way nick hornby wrote the character of rob in the book um has sort of informed the way that i i think in some ways Mm. because i've just watched this movie so many times (laughs) well Um, i love i love any good movie that's about somebody that truly cannot see that they are a monster of like their own making that they've mm-hmm. put themselves in the situation that everything it really has to do with them but they can't see it at all and i think the movie does such a good job with that with rob and john cusack's just so likable that mm-hmm. despite rob being really just a shit person <laughs> in, this, yes, in the start of this movie <laughs> um you just can't help but 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 see him through Laura's eyes, I think, a little bit, uh, wanting him to just grow up and get better. And she gives him so many opportunities to change. And it just takes him such a long time to face the fact that he's unhappy, that his life isn't moving forward, that it should. But I think that's so relatable around the age that he is um, to feel that way, to feel like, I don't know, it's, it's hard to leave all that stuff behind that he kind of has that second skin, I guess he's got to shed and, and, you know, evolve into a butterfly. I don't know. He, he's got to grow up and it's like very, it's a rough part of your life because you're already an adult and yet you still feel like, I don't know, that there's a next step that you're not ready to take. Yeah. You know, I, one of the things I, okay, to answer your question, I think the, the, the primary thing I think of when, you someone asked me what my favorite scene in the movie is, which you're the first one to ever ask me that. <laughs> so, but the first thing that popped in mind, which is probably my answer, was Jack Black going, "The night Laura's daddy died." Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I love Jack Black's character. He's so freaking I don't know. He's so like unaware of everything, 
but he totally reminds me of somebody that I hung out with like oh, around yeah. that age. Like he's definitely I don't know. He just does such a good job. And I couldn't wait, even though, like like I said, I had never seen the movie all the way through. I was so excited. I mean, it's Jack Black, so obviously his performance at the end is going to be really good. But I love the way Rob is so dismissive of him the whole movie. <laughs> yep. And then the way that it turns out <laughs> in the end. Um, but yeah, he's Jack Black injects so much humor into every scene that he's in. I mean, in general, but... I, I really enjoy him in this movie. The idea that he's so obsessed with his own music and his caught up in his own thing that even Laura's dad's death, he somehow turns into an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. But you <laughs> know... They want to make her a mixtape for her dad's death. It's just funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what Jack Black reminded me of, though? And I was what? looking back and I thought, when was the last time I saw this movie? Oh... And I realized I had not, I have not seen this movie in probably five years. Okay. I am coming upon the fifth anniversary of DC on screen. Whoa. And I was sitting there going, I haven't had time to watch this movie because of yep. all the DC shows and stuff. <laughs> and I thought Jack Black is like the entitled fan base in this movie where he's just screaming Absolutely. at Dick. Just like. He's like, bullshit. You know, he's like, no, it's just a preference. How could it be bullshit to state a preference? You know, I, I was just sitting there going like, oh, man, I'm going to dislike Barry more now because <laughs> he's like everyone <laughs> I can't stand on Twitter. Well, all three of them are just like entitled nerds that are kind of unhappy that, yeah, it's like uh, that 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 one guy that, that tries to buy a record and they don't sell it to him because he's a nerd, even though oh, all three yeah. of them are nerds. And then that other guy goes, can I buy it? And he goes, yeah. And he's like, why would you sell it to me and not him? And they're like, he's a nerd. And he's like, you guys are elitist. Like, you're you're awful. You're really, and they're just like, we don't care. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I think that's just always been a thing. Like, there's always been an entitled fan base. And I, I do think, like, this is something you don't hear as much anymore. But I do feel like in the 2000s and the 90s, there was, I mean, they, they make fun of it even, like, a little bit in American Psycho of, like, that being a you know, elitist thing where you just kind of tell a movie, uh, a song fact, sorry, and just go on and on about that album and the year it came out and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I, I think that's sort of like a lost art in a way <laughs> of like, because everybody has <laughs> access to music now, we don't have to go to a record store and dig through stuff. So you can't really be as elitist about it as back then. I feel like maybe that's part of it, but yeah, I, I loved it. I ate that stuff up. I was like, ugh, that's so... That's too real. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I know all these guys. Yeah. It, it's also kind of funny, too. Like, if you're younger, then you watch this movie and they're in a record store and you don't really think much about it. Because I feel like record stores are, like, cool now, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, um, they're They're kind of niche, but everyone generally is like, yeah, records. But I feel like in the 2000s, you know, it's still cool cool but it's older you know everyone's listening to cds mm -hmm. they're not as pumped about vinyl the purest form <laughs> and so that's there there's a layer of that i think in the movie that it might be weird to watch today and maybe not pick up on it as much i don't know maybe you know i what's weird i think it's relatable to anyone who's uh what what how did rob uh, talk about it fetish properties um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because w when I saw it, you know, I was still kind of discovering what I liked in music, but what I related it to was comic books in the comic ah, book shop. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could see that. It's definitely like a, a safe space and also, you know, they're not as worried about making money. Like it just has all those vibes of like yeah, of just being too too good for the rest of the world <laughs> and too engrossed in uh in their own thing. Um but but then you're also like weirdly jealous of it, like, man, I wish I could just hang out in a record store all day. Oh yeah. And just talk about music and that's it and have no worries. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but no worries. They seem like they were all pretty worried about yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's true. About, <laughs> about money, mainly. <laughs> that's probably the biggest one. I've, I, I, every time I reorganize any of my collections, though, I always think about, like, how, how would I do this autobiographically? <laughs> I love that scene. It's like, I can't go. Yeah. I, have to, I have to reorganize all these. And he's like, oh. And then he explains, like, the method. And Dick's like, do you want me to stay and help you? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, like you have plans, man. Just don't help him do his records. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I think he just feels bad for him. <laughs> oh no, I I I get the sense that he was like, oh, this is awesome. I want to be a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> this is better than what I was going to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, his um, Sarah Gilbert as his love interest in the in in the movie is just was perfect. She did such a great job. Like and, and is she from uh she was from uh Roseanne is that right that's it yeah 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 I recognized her right away but it took me a minute because she was like sort of at an age of I'm used to seeing her now and I'm used to seeing her when she was on Roseanne as a child and I was, mm-hmm. so when I see her in this movie I was like who is that and I do love that wrinkle of like they're so mean to Dick and they act like it's impossible for him to be interesting or do anything and then he gets this girl and they're they're so mean to him about it and it's like but i feel like that's that's real like he's genuine and he's nice and so he would have like a steady girlfriend before the you know a better relationship than they would <laughs> cuz he's like a nicer person yeah you know it's i was thinking about that and it's always felt like to me that rob was that Rob felt bad for Dick and didn't really mess with him too much. Like he's just kind of like, yeah, I haven't really listened to that one, man. Uh, you know, and then Barry was just outright a jerk about it, but you know, there's, and not really sticking up for Dick. I guess there was a way that Rob was kind of being a dick. I don't know. He's stuck up for him a couple of times. I think, I think <laughs> there's a hierarchy of like Rob, Barry, then Dick, <laughs> mm-hmm. but but I think underneath it, they care about each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, but you know, it's I, just like that whole, like, I, I think they're they're at a point in their life where, or at least Rob is, where he's just very, like, insecure and resentful. <laughs> so yes. I think Dick getting a girlfriend to him and to Barry is like, what? He got a girlfriend? What? You know, it's like very, like, high school <laughs> reaction to that. But I think uh, I think that they all have good friend chemistry and and they're sort of I also like that they're it feels like they're kind of stuck with each other like at several points in the movie they all seem like kind of irritated with each other or or whatever but then ultimately they're each other's best friend like by necessity because who else is gonna like sit there and argue albums with them like that you know it's kind of a niche thing yeah and I think that's that's always felt like a little kind of a sad part of the movie to me when like Rob is looking out the window at at Dick with his girlfriend. Oh yeah. Because like he they're going to go to the club and he's like, "Oh, I can't." And he's like, "Holy shit. Dick's got a a hot date." And then <laughs> and then Barry turns around and says, "Actually, I can't go either. I've got to throw down some lyrics." They're all moving on in their lives. They're all trying mm-hmm. to do something better than 
you know, what they're doing now. Just like Barry said, well, you think I'm going to stick around here my whole, my whole life? Which is exactly what Rob's been doing. I just, I, I really love that. I, yeah, yeah. I also like the fact that his his girlfriend, I don't know, sometimes in movies like this, well, this movie's so self-aware and it's it's got like a real clear, distinct message, but sometimes in movies like this, the, the girlfriend or ex-girlfriend it feels more like, uh, I guess, like an antagonist, you know? Mm-hmm. And she, Laura really is not, she's just, she's, she's in that next phase of life and she's just ready to move on. The the movie doesn't demonize her for that. In fact, if anything, she's overly patient, but, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I I like that about her character that she moves on, but she's not super resentful about it. She feels bad for him. She knows he's stuck and that he really needs to let this life go and embrace what actually makes him happy. But she also can't make him do that. So she just, you know, she's just kind of like, I'm going to be a catalyst in the sense that I'm going to leave. But, you know, the rest is kind of up to you sort of thing. And she pops back in throughout the movie and eventually they get back together. But I I like that um, it's not just her like pushing him the whole movie, you know, because Mm -hmm. it makes you really feel like it's Rob's like decision and his own personal growth that it takes him such a long time to figure out (laughs) he needs to do. But, yeah, it's yeah. there's a great scene, and I don't know if you watched any of the deleted scenes. Oh no, I I, I rented it, so I didn't have the deleted scenes. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, there is a great deleted scene between Laura and um, Liz mm-hmm. in her office, and she's talking about how she wants to go back to Rob, but if she goes back at this point, it's going he's going to dump her for someone else. Mm-hmm. Just because the she believes the only problem that Rob is having with this whole breakup is that he didn't do it first. He didn't get with somebody first. Yeah, it does seem that way. <laughs> and, In fact, I even question at the end of the movie, should they get back together? Like, I, I get why they do, and I think it, it, it's a good wrap-up for the film. But in real life, I don't know about that. But go ahead, sorry. Um... Well, in the deleted scene, there's well, and I think the the reason the deleted scene was deleted is because I th- it's the first time that we really break away from Rob's point of view. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful scene, and it's really great, and it's even got a great comedic moment that made it into the trailer. Oh, um, okay. Where uh, Liz asks her how how uh, Ray's coming along, and she's like, "Yeah, he's growing on me." And she goes, yeah, he looks like he could grow on something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's such a strange scene because it, it I think it would completely take you out of the movie because it's suddenly just not from Rob's perspective at all. It's, well, we're taking a weird detour and showing what she's thinking. Um, right, right. But I do wish it had stayed around in some capacity because it further explains uh, Laura's viewpoint. But, you know... If you're a rational adult, I think you can look at the movie anyway and go, like, yeah, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, like, he's uh, he's talking to the camera a lot, and he's not even honest when talking to the camera. Like, he can't be honest with himself, and he's sort of an unreliable narrator. But I think because he is so self-focused, it, I think taking a scene where we explore Laura's side, like you said, it sort of takes you out of the movie because it's like the movie is sort of about him realizing how over me focused he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, he goes back. 
I, I do love, um, even though it's like kind of, it could have been a silly setup, him going back to all his ex-girlfriends and revisiting like what went wrong, but it's so, it's so funny and so wonderful. Um, I like all those scenes too. Oh yeah, me too. They're just, what I love about that is, you know, as he's explaining them, we're like, oh, well, yeah, that's the problem. She's awful. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that's the problem. You're a complete jerk and you rejected that poor girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then as he, as and that's one of my favorite bits in the, I, the whole movie's my favorite scene, to be clear. But um, where she kind of has that meltdown, uh, his the girlfriend he rejected because she wouldn't sleep yeah. with him. And the whole time you're just thinking, you're such a jerk. Um, and she tells him, you know, I wanted to sleep with you, but, you know, not not when I was 16. Yeah, very and, reasonable like, yeah. response. <laughs> and you rejected me. And she breaks down in tears and you know, screw you or whatever it was and storms out. And his response is, oh, my God, she's right. I did reject her. That's another one I don't have to worry about. Like, oh my God, you're such it's a dick. Like every lesson he grabs from an old relationship is no self-awareness at all. And just how how it's not his fault or why did she reject me? That's it. No personal growth. It, it's, it is funny. Like I, I, I liked all those scenes because of that, because it's like uh, the, yeah, the first girlfriend that he calls to uh, when he calls the mother and he's like, I was her first girlfriend. They were like 12 or something and he's like obsessing over whether or not he was her first girl her first boyfriend or not Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like who does that and then yeah then the second one he breaks that poor girl's heart and then still doesn't realize that that he even did that or cares just worries about the fact that he rejected her so that's one he can cross off the list Mm -hmm. and then uh charlie who's played by Catherine zeta jones that's a whole interesting side story too i love the scenes where he he says he feels like a fraud he looks so like dorky next to her and i love that i love his little face uh like everything he's wearing it does it does look like a costume on him (laughs) it does it feels like they they plucked that scene out of another older john cusack movie yeah it does (laughs) um but yeah and then uh yeah he has that dinner at her house and it, it feels like a big like, she's just, like, bragging, like, pulling him back into her life to be like, look at me now. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, I, I I love all that so that he can finally, like, come to this conclusion that with Laura that he never really, he just always had one foot out the door the whole relationship. And she knew that. But she yeah. loved him, so she gave him a lot of chances. And it yeah. takes that funeral for him to really have that turn. Yeah, and well, you know, in the book, well, yeah, you wouldn't, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> That's um, okay. In the book, and that was one of the things that kind of I turned back on with the movie and went, oh man, I wish they had, they would have had a line there or something. But in the book, the funeral makes him realize this is what he's been afraid of the entire time. This is why he can't commit to anything. Because, because of death. Because of death. Ah. Uh, yeah, I would have liked to have heard him say that. Yeah. Like, maybe they thought it was too dark of a tone for the movie or something. I mean, I don't think so, but maybe that, I don't know. It's yeah. interesting. I, I don't know. I, I think maybe they felt like it was implied or something, but. Yeah. Yeah. Because it um, is like a next step. I mean, I think him owning the record store, you know, dressing the way he does, not really um, 
yeah, not really growing up while she's getting like all these, you know, she becomes like a lawyer and she's dressed, wearing a suit, like just totally different from when they first met. It is sort of trying to stay stuck in a time period so that he doesn't have to deal with what comes next. And as they get older and, you know, as they're in like their 30s and stuff, that, that is when things like this start happening. Mm-hmm. People start to pass away and you have to deal with all the less pleasant parts about life, including death. And yeah, I mean that, I don't know that I, I kind of do wish they had said something. Cause I think that makes him more relatable because at first I was worried. I'm like, okay, he's going to start making out with her and all this stuff right after her dad's funeral. Like <laughs> there's, a, I mean, she initiates it, but still it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's a concern of like, let's say her sister or a friend says he's swooping in while you're at your lowest point. Cause he wants you back. Um, which I don't think he's doing that, but no. it could be read that way. So it would be kind of cool if they had added that part. Yeah. You know, I, that, that scene in the car is so awkward to me, but it's also <laughs> brilliant. Uh, yeah. To, but I love the gallows humor there. Where it's just, it's the sort of humor that you have with someone that you've been intimate with for a very long time. Um, like when she says like, you know, I just need, you know, uh, it's either this or I go go home and put my hand in the fire. Mm-hmm. Either, or either that or you can put cigarettes out on me, on my arm or whatever it was. And he says, uh, he just very casually says, no, I've only got a few cigarettes left. I've been saving them for later. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's so dark. And you wouldn't say that in mixed company, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, the, the, the death scene and the, the funeral and everything, it, it sort of... It, it brings Rob back to reality and it, um, I don't know. It's like, yeah, you're right. It's like, it's awkward, but at the same time it has him thinking like, okay, when he gets distracted and chases like a new face, um, that person, he's not going to be able to bring to a funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, that person, he's not going to be able to be raw and real with, you know, that person, he's not going to be able to make that joke with. And so he's realizing in retrospect, like, yeah, settling down sounds boring and adult, but here's all the, the upsides is that you're not alone. Whereas right now he, he is alone. Yeah. Even if he, he picks some random person or whatever, it's not the same level of intimacy and it's not the same stability that, you know, as you get older, you want. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point earlier, about you know how you were kind of like oh did do they really need to be together? I feel like I would have felt way more like that if they hadn't gotten them back together after the funeral. Yeah, that's true. And then had it be a really good period where he you know talks about like you know it was great you know we stayed in all the time, made love, we went out to eat all the time, we talked about the future, we all that stuff. And then he's like, and for some reason, and then the, that other girl comes in and he yeah. starts making mixtape, a mixtape for her. And, um, had he, like, had that not happened, I would have been frustrated and thought, well, he didn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. He just got the girl back because she was too tired to deal with being single since her dad <laughs> died. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, you question the authenticity of them really wanting to be together if it's because of a tragedy. Because then it's always like, 
well, is it just the situation that brought them back together? And would they have ever gotten back together if her dad hadn't died? Yeah, you're right. I think what happens after that sort of answers that question. Yeah, and you, if they had gotten together and just stayed together and that was the happy ending, I would have been like, okay, so this was the, the point is somehow that this is her fault and <laughs> her dad's death made her realize, you know. How wonderful Rob is. Yeah, you're how right. How she should be with this flawed guy because no i don't like he had to have the realization and i love that her character took it in stride you know and that she was yeah. just like you know who's the tape for some girl mm, okay mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just it's painful to watch yeah you're just like, and also oh, man, that don't she, do this. That, yeah and also that like not just in his love life but he's sort of also self-sabotaging himself when she tries to do that cd release party like she's got that kind of personality where she makes things happen you know Mm -hmm. she's very driven and she's um exciting all the things that he loves about her but then he tries to sort of squash it because he's so afraid of like that next step and she even tells him that she's like you're afraid of of this being successful of, of of going forward that's what you're afraid of and you're trying to stop the release party and your friend from playing and all this stuff because you're you're just scared. Yeah. And um, I think they do a good job of like she she pushes that for that, but she's not like the only reason it happens. You're right. Like he kind of comes to his own conclusions as well, and he does grow up. Um, and sometimes we all need somebody to to tell us, you know, to move forward. <laughs> uh, but I think the movie does do a good job of that. And then he has that conversation with her where. He, he's ready to get married because he's he's like, okay, I've I figured it out finally. Like, I jump around like this because I don't want to commit. I don't want to uh, settle down. I'm scared of what that means. and But now I'm ready to do that. And so they get back together because of that. Yeah. I, I love that scene in the bar where, you know, he basically proposes to her. And I, I love that it's not a typical romantic comedy. I like yeah. that it ends with hope, but just enough hope. Yeah, because like, she doesn't 100% say yes, right? She's kind of like, oh, well, no. let's see what happens. She turns him down. Like, yeah. he's like, I, I, I love that like, he's just finally looking to fulfill her needs at the end of this movie, where he's <laughs> making a mixtape for her, and he's he's trying to figure out what that means and trying to figure out what she would like. And there's no, like, a giant gesture in a football stadium or or any grand declaration of love. It's just an apprehensive query while fiddling with a lemon wedge in his beer in the middle of the day. <laughs> like, yeah. I just want to know if you want to get married. And she just, like, laughs in his face. Like, you were just <laughs> making mixtapes for this other girl. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't really think you're the safest bet. Yeah, I just thought the important part was asking. Well, now you've asked. Thank you. <laughs> Like and that was like it's a it's a huge step for him just to ask if she if she would like to get married. Oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. You're right because that was the key th- thing in all his relationships was he never ever put his his headspace in what the other person was thinking ever. It was always just like about him and how he felt mm-hmm. and um you know if he's rejected and why does you know like he you later find out in the movie that he cheated on her that uh, she got pregnant and 
when she found out he was cheating, she had an abortion, but she didn't tell him till later. And then he, instead of supporting her, is like, you, you had an abortion, that was my baby, too. And, you know, just made things so much worse until finally she's like, all right, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, he has a hard time. He's like, why am I always so rejected? Why can't people just love me? Again, why me, 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 me? And then mm-hmm. at the very end, you're right, he's sort of putting himself in the headspace of Laura now and thinking, oh, wait, she's got all these hopes and dreams as well. <laughs> and what is that like? And what does she like? And what do we mean together? And like, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it definitely is different from most uh, most romantic comedies. And maybe like why I don't always love romantic comedies, um, mm-hmm. whether they're about a girl or a guy. A lot of times I feel like they are a little too one-sided. Um, and I do prefer movies where you're considering like both both people a little bit better. And this movie does do a good job of that. Yeah, and that's just like I've I've known people. I convinced them to watch this movie, and at the end of the movie, they said, "Well, they didn't get married. They didn't. They weren't really together." And I was like, "No, they were together." But you get the sense that it's going to work out because he's finally pulled his head out of his ass. Yeah, and, um. and like you give props to Laura, I think, for being a strong person and not just going, "Oh, finally, you're ready to marry me. I can't wait." You know, she's kind of like, "Okay, but let's just see what happens." Like, why don't instead of you know, he, he seems really into impulsive decision-making, right? I mean, that's kind of how he ended up in all these different relationships and dramatically ending them and things like that. Just being dramatic in general. And uh, I think she's saying, like, what instead of another dramatic, romantic idea, why don't we just see what happens organically? <laughs> and that's kind of how the movie ends. And you're right, that is really different from a lot of other romantic comedies. Yeah, and I think I do think there's like a bit of growth for him, and you can start to see him move that direction when he's given the top five reasons he misses Laura, and then he yeah. turns around and says, "I can give you, you know, a whole list of things that that do that, that she does that drives me nuts, but that's the kind of thinking that got me here in the first place." Right. Um, he had trouble like thinking of his partners as a whole person. He, mm-hmm. you know, it's like he he liked the fun and exciting stuff, but he didn't want to deal with the reality, and I think. A lot of that was like sort of self-loathing about himself too. Oh, absolutely. He totally, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go for it. (laughs) No, I was just going to say he like, he totally measures his own self-worth by who they are and what they're doing and what all of his friends are doing. Like, like (laughs) it, it, it has always bothered me. Like I've never been the Rob guy. I've Mm -hmm. had friends who were Rob. You know, I, and I didn't, like, I've always had trouble, uh, I, I grew up in a house full of women, so I've always had trouble relating to other guys. Mm. And, and that's one of the reasons, like, when at 16, I was like, oh, I know all of these guys. I, I can I can kind <laughs> of wrap my head around this. But even, like, just Rob's inability to find his own self-worth, his, you know... Did you sleep with him yet? Like, this is all he's worried about with Laura is if she slept with Ian or Ray or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, he he sits her down and he's like, did you sleep with him? She's like, no, I don't, uh, I don't know if he, or I don't know if he's better because we haven't done it yet. And he's so happy. He's like, I feel so good. In fact, I go straight out and sleep with Marie DeSalle. And you're like, oh, yeah. come on, buddy. Are yeah. you serious? <laughs> And I also feel like it's um, it's weird that even since 2000 to now, I think feel like so much has changed that even that feels different, right? Like, 
when I was in high school or college, like, yeah, I had friends that did stuff exactly like this. But I feel Mm -hmm. like now it's, like, even less socially acceptable. Like, you might do it, but you might not, like, say it out loud or, you know what I mean? Like, it would be less accepted. Whereas I feel like when this movie came out, his behavior, like, almost made sense back then. Like, did you sleep with him yet? I have to know. And it's like, now you're like, ew. But back then it was, like, kind of acceptable to act like that, you know? You know, I don't know. I feel like a lot has changed since since then. I don't I don't think it was acceptable in my circles. <laughs> right. It was weird. It you know, but me and the the very few friends that I cultivated that by that point and you know, I, I guess I'm still that way. I, I don't I don't There's a, there's a line of dialogue from Tim Drake in an old uh, Robin comic. I I like friends not a crowd and that seems to have permeated in my mind um but we just don't like we don't operate that way and i've had friends who did (laughs) i've had friends who did but because of those things i we usually went with our separate ways i don't know yeah that that part of the movie is perplexing why someone would do that but also it it lines up with again you're saying like his sort of own self-loathing and how he measures his own self-worth um and how he makes things sort of about him but he does grow by the end of that so that's good and i love always seeing i always love seeing joan cusack in movies with him (laughs) yeah there's something great that i really enjoy about it i don't know what it is because (laughs) i don't think i like her very much <laughs> like you don't like her like alone, but you want like them in a scene together. Um, there, I think it's something. There's something satisfying to me about the fact that they're siblings and they're in a movie together. Yeah, yeah. I do like her, um, but I feel like when I think about her, it's always in a movie with him. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I like her as the friend character in this one. The way she like reaches out to him and feels so bad for him because he's really making it seem like he's the victim. And then when she <laughs> finds out that he's a jerk, she's such a good friend. She's like that really good friend that yeah. you you tell stuff to. And then she goes, oh, you know what? That's not ha- I'm going down there right now. And she's like, no, 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 don't do it. And she does it anyways. Um, she's always sort of like the voice of reason in the movie. And then I also really like Tim Robbins. <laughs> I love oh, him in gosh. everything. He's like one of my favorite people ever. Um, we did an episode on this show on uh, Nothing to Lose, which is like, mm-hmm. have you seen that movie? I, I haven't. I've heard of it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, uh, for some reason, me and my friend Kara were obsessed with that movie and watched It's like one of those movies that like wasn't that great, but you watched it like a thousand times as a kid. So I was just always loved him and then i just like his character as i don't know just like the the guy that she would uh rebound to next for laura like it just it's so fitting because he's like so tall but then he's also got that like sort of annoying hipster vibe i just Mm -hmm. i don't know i really liked him and i was like when i was watching the movie i just said out loud you know what i'd leave rob for for him too i'd leave rob for tim robbins too really just because it's tim robbins i mean he's awful in the movie but (laughs) <laughs> i just like tim robbins so <laughs> oh man he looks like a smooth head uh a smooth headed klingon in this thing yeah he looks at his hair is awful and like he's clearly too old for her and i don't know it was just very funny by the way speaking speaking of of his hair being awful i think her hair is awful <laughs> uh oh yeah those weird bangs that everyone had in the 2000s 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm just sitting there going, girl, them bangs. No. <laughs> oh, girl. But that was so popular then. Uh, I think so. Okay, so when this movie came out, like I said, I think I was around 16. I'm always afraid of saying years and dates and being 100% wrong. But if I am, I don't mm-hmm. know, I was a teenager, I think. Oh, you're, um, you're good. <laughs> I, uh, I basically had, I had like a really short pixie cut. Mm. Um, around this time so my bangs probably did look like that and the funny part too is like i got that pixie cut and it looked super cute like when i walked out of the salon uh but i could never keep up with it because i was 16 and so it always looked like a almost like a caesar cut (laughs) it's Hmm. not good (laughs) which was another popular style around then but yeah so i probably had bangs like she did so i'm a little forgiving of that but it is terrible fair enough I think I my I think my hair just looked like John Cusack's at the at that point. It was just you stuck with the classic style. Yeah, <laughs> classic laid back guy. Just had like kind of longish hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there any other scenes that you wanted to sort of tackle? Hmm. I don't know. I could probably talk about the whole movie. One <laughs> <laughs> um, of my one of my favorite little bits of dialogue is um, when he, when he says he's been thinking with his gut since he was whatever, 16 years old, 14, something yeah. like that, 13, 14 years old. And he's come to the conclusion that his gut has shit for brains. <laughs> yeah. That's, that stuck with me. I think about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I just, um, I think I just enjoyed John Cusack. I can't say that I 100% identify with Rob. But, and, you know, I don't think I was ever treating anybody like that. But at the same time, I think there is a part of me that understands, like, that sort of weird, like, I keep coming back to that age where you're not really a kid anymore, but you're an adult and you've got to get a real, quote-unquote, real job. And that is, like, a tough transition. And I do think, at least for me, it was full of a lot of, like, petty self-loathing and sort of... um kind of I don't know I think I was just a big baby like a big old baby until I finally just was like okay I have to let this go and just grow up and so I kind of like movies where they explore that because it's sort of like making fun of yourself in a way of like oh yeah I've been this idiot before oh yeah yeah the the bit in uh where he's with Lily Taylor and Mm -hmm. he says um only certain, only people of a certain disposition are afraid of being alone when they're 26, and we were of that disposition. I, yeah, I, I've, I've always loved that bit of that, or I've always loved that line because it pretty much at a certain point just like I was afraid of dying alone when I was like 12 and 13. You know what I mean? Oh like, no, I was that <laughs> You're guy. You're a serious kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, well, I need to find the woman I'm gonna marry. Oh my god. The clock's so a ticking. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I didn't for many years after that. <laughs> well, that's probably good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I, I was a bit much. But. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny. Like when you're in your 20s, you're just sort of. Everything is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, that kind of gets in your own way. I feel like some of that sort of coming to realization thing is happening later. Like, these days, like in your 30s instead of your 20s, but definitely in my 20s, I I came to that realization like, this is going to sound super dumb. I'm just going to be honest and say it. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be really rich. I'm not going to be, you know, 
really successful like I, I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, not that I'm not doing well, um, but I, I think when you're a kid, you're basically like, oh, I'm going to be like, I don't know, a millionaire or something. And everything's going to change as soon as I'm an adult. All these amazing things are just magically going to happen. And then as you get older, that bubble is burst and you're like, oh, magical, amazing things are not just lining up for me. I'm, ha- I'm going to have to do them yeah. <laughs> to make them happen. And you tur- you look around and you're like, other people have houses, other people are married. Everybody goes through that time where they're like sort of in denial, like, well, I just don't want any of that. I just want to stay here. And But you're miserable and you have to sort of come to that conclusion of like, okay, I have to grow up. Mm-hmm. So um, as painful as that is, I always like movies about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I... I saw more of that this time than I think I ever had before that part of it, you know? Yeah. I think if I had seen this in my twenties, I don't think I would have resonated with it quite as much as I do now because I'm on the other side of it. (laughs) I'm actually wondering if this is the first time I've seen this movie in my thirties. Oh yeah. Cause like in the movie, I mean, he's in his thirties, right? Mm -hmm. They make a point of pointing out that he's older even than the other guys at the record store. Yeah. And that's another reason why, you know, she's sort of got this higher powered job. She changed her hair. She, you know, and he complains about that too, you know, about how she's so different now and, 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 and everything is so different now. And and it does make you sort of think about your own life. Like, you know, I've been, uh, with, with my partner since we were in our early twenties. I mean, we look, if you looked at pictures of us when we first started dating to now, it's like, whoa, they look like two different people, you know? Um, and, and sort of uh, not seeing that as a bad thing. And I think that everybody does kind of go through that period of thinking that growth is bad. <laughs> like, oh, I'm turning into one of those people that uh, has a house and a picket fence. And like, you know, <laughs> somebody that's really into music the way he is, is, is not is not looking forward to that. And so I think that's another funny part about it. And when I think about my early 20s and like, you know, uh, going to a lot of concerts and listening to a lot of music and the way I was dressed, it's like, yeah, I was totally, totally thinking that this would ne- this day would never come. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I've I've been married uh, almost two years now. I've been with my wife though, probably twelve years. Yeah, I think I think I've been with with Nick. It's been thirteen years. So wow. yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So I mean, married for five. But, you know, as, you know, as I was pretty much mostly single during my 20s, you know, I I had girlfriends and they, and those relationships ended poorly, but, um, (laughs) thankfully, uh, because those, all of those girls were in some way or another, what I was the most afraid of, and, you know, when you think about marriage, like I was that guy who wanted to get married when I was, you know, I wanted to find the one and stuff because I was hopeless romantic. But then like, you know, as I got older, that's why the the movie I think resonated with me way more in college. I started seeing my friends, people I knew who were musicians and big comic book nerds, usually both um, getting married. And then suddenly they're giving me all their stuff. They're like, hey, <laughs> take my movie it's posters. It's funny how often you hear that, yeah. And you're like, why do you not want your movie posters anymore, man? Why don't you want your graphic novels? Please tell me you're not getting rid of Kingdom Come. I mean, I'll take it off your <laughs> I hands. I love this so much. <laughs> I'll take it off your hands, but why? Well, she doesn't like it. And then you like go over to the house to like 
it's like a it's like a funeral. You go over there and you're like cleaning out their stuff. Just take you're, you're uh. excited because you're taking it home and it's yours now. But and you're like, but you're sad for your buddy because you're like he's getting yeah. his whole life away. I'm like, dude, you're, you know, you're you're not getting this back. If you guys get divorced, you're you're out of luck. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you look around and it's like it's all of her stuff, all of like her artwork, all of her nice like you know whatever she wants up, and. You know, and uh, to be fair, to be absolutely fair, I've seen I, I've seen it go the opposite way with you know women give or the girls giving up everything that they liked, you know, uh, yeah. because like you know I you know I, I'm in Alabama, you know I <laughs> like I've there was a there was a girl I knew who was really into singing, and uh, she was pursuing that, and then she got married and she was like, Nope, I'm just going to stay at home and be a mom now. And I was like, you can't go out and sing on the weekends. (laughs) Well, he doesn't think that's appropriate. Oh my gosh. You know, so so scary. Yeah, man. So like I was seeing that and I was just like, how do you give up your entire existence? Everything that you enjoy for another person like that. Yeah, and, um, I cannot relate to that. <laughs> and I, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've, uh, I'm sure you've seen some of the photos I post on on my social media. That did not happen in mm-hmm. my marriage. We have action figures and <laughs> Blu-rays and comic books everywhere in this house. <laughs> I don't and know. I just, some people are into that, I guess. And I just think like, you gave up everything you liked. What do you guys do? <laughs> what do you do now? And I feel like they're I guess just they like. Gotta find mm. something new to do, I guess. Well, we like to pretend we know. We we like to pretend we have an opinion on wine. That's, <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess to be fair, I'm talking about all this growing up and stuff like that. But I guess I haven't really grown up. No. Like in the in the uh, traditional sense, uh, I always joke that like sometimes you know like my mom will come over and she'll look at all of our goofy nerd shit all over the walls and she'll be like. Now that you're in a nicer place, you're going to get rid of all this, right? Like, she's waiting for the oh. day where I just finally get rid of all of it. And I'm like, it'll, it's, I'm 36 now. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my mom got me into all this stuff. So I'm. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. My mom is very much in favor of it. She's like, oh, man, that's awesome. I wish I had that Batman. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So we did not have the same experience as this movie. But I will say that no. Laura is is very supportive. I mean, she met him at a, as a DJ. She didn't try mm. to take that out of him, you know. She just wanted him to grow that part of himself. You know, yeah. she, she tells him that you've become like a professional critic. It's time to create something and put something out into the world. And I really like that message. I do, too. It's really positive, and it's like, again, she's not trying to say, like, okay, now put all that record stuff away. She's like, no, let's, like, let's go there, but do something with it, something that makes you happy. Yeah. And And it ends with that, like, even if their relationship doesn't work out, at least he's doing something that truly makes him happy, and, you know, he's grown. And I get the sense at the end of the film that even if they did break up again, his next relationship would at least be healthier. Yeah, you would you would hope. <laughs> Crossing my fingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, go ahead. I I am one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this movie is I am uh-huh. super excited and I there's been, you know, a backlash of course, but 
um, on Hulu, they're going to do a 10, I think, I think it was 10 episode, uh, series and, um, where they're kind of redoing the show, the, the movie or the, the book or whatever, but it's, um, it's going to be gender flipped. Yeah, with Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. So which Catwoman. Is, which is, <laughs> yes, which is great because her mom was in this movie. Um, oh, Lisa that's Bonet. right. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. That's so cool. Well, also, like, I was reading about it. So it says, like, female record store owner in the rapidly gentrified neighborhood of Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, that is such a perfect setting, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, that's what's happening right now is, like, so many so many neighborhoods are being, you know, rapidly gentrified, like, mm-hmm. like it says. And, um, yeah, just being a record store owner in a place that's changing and everything's getting different. And I feel like that's going to be a central focus of it. And her, her being a, like a woman of color in that situation too. Like th- it's just a really good setup because it's something that's like timely. Um, it's something that's happening right now. Um, and, but it's kind of the, it's kind of going to be the same thing where things are going to be changing around her and she's going to i guess be stuck and we're going to see her version of rob i'm i, I don't know I, I got pretty excited when i read the synopsis i was like that's a good way to update it because i don't think you could just do the same thing again like i don't think i don't think it would play the same if it was another guy in his 30s you know what i mean like yeah, you have no. to do something different with it to make it feel like 2019 yeah, you can't um, do another white guy in his thirties who's being a complete dick to women. Like even while I was watching <laughs> okay, it, okay, you 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 said it exactly. I yeah, was no, thinking it was saying I mean, out loud. <laughs> I, I I'm you know, <laughs> I'm certainly not the most woke individual, but even as I was watching this, it being like one of my top two favorite movies of all time, I'm sitting there going like, this doesn't date well, man. Like he is <laughs> he is just too much of a dick sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it. You know, it, there are a couple scenes where I was like, "Oof," but I think overall, it what keeps it from being to where they wouldn't want to reboot it <laughs> is the fact that he does have self awareness at the end of being like, "Okay, I've been crappy," and the fact that I think like that the the women that he interacts with, particularly Laura, are very mature and they're not one dimensional, and so like I think that really helps with it of like it's pretty clear that they're saying the way he's acting is bad and he needs to have a change. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's, you know, one of the big differences, and that's why what this movie holds up so well for me, yeah, because yeah. when you look back at some of the older, like, I don't know, like teen raunchy comedies or whatever, you're just like, Oh, these guys are completely glorified and they are terrible. Yeah, you know, it's and just, you like didn't ugh. notice that as a teenager at all. <laughs> but then, like, I notice it when people younger than me revisit movies I liked, and they're like, "This mm-hmm. is awful," and I'm like, "Oh, okay, well, that was a long time ago. I realize that now, <laughs> you know." But um, and I also think just for freshness, like not having to compete with John Cusack if it's somebody that's totally different from him, you know, that helps. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, I yeah. like I like that when they reboot and they pick someone totally different. It, if you pick the same person, then we're going to get the same thing again. And, and then we're just going to constantly be comparing in our heads, you know, is this performance as good as this one? But if you pick a different spin on it, it's like you get to keep that old one, preserve the way it is and, to, and just add something to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I, uh, you know, 
I'm obviously not worried about what they're referring to as the SJWization of high fidelity. <laughs> if yeah. anything, that it, this property needs that to some degree. I, you know, I, I would like to see that version of it just because, like, how are you going to do this? Um, <laughs> is yeah. she going to be as you know big of a jerk as Rob is in this in in this movie? And Probably, in the book. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I think, you know, uh, it can be hard to humanize somebody that is, you know, has a problem with infidelity and is treating people badly. Um, but high fidelity does a good job of that, of explaining, I guess, you know, what's really going on with the character and why they're acting the way that they do. And then them sort of like coming to the realization that they need to change. Um, I think that's like a tricky topic to do without turning the audience against the character. So I, mm-hmm. I really like that about the movie. And yeah, hopefully the show does the same thing where you're like, you're, it's not a show where you're, you're just getting sick of the person, you know, <laughs> like yeah. you, you're rooting for them to change and you're, you're, you see that spark of hope in them that they're going to get better. That they're going to do better this time. <laughs> and they, they make him sympathetic enough just to, the, and just likable enough. And I, I really think in some ways, John Cusack's other previous, like his, the the roles previous to this helped him out. Yes, that's a you, good point. Like, would you feel so sympathetic to him if you didn't know who John Cusack was? But it's like impossible not to know who he is by the time this movie comes out. Yeah, I don't know if I would have liked his character nearly as much if I didn't if I wasn't thinking of Lloyd Dobler. You know, yeah. like I just see him standing there with that boombox over his head, and I'm like, yeah, but he's a good guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, like, he's you have not. to pick somebody that is friendly and likable. <laughs> Um, um, but if you pick if you pick like a random unknown actor, you're like, why do I care what this dumb idiot thinks? Like, so what if yeah. he has bad relationships? I don't care. But when it's John Cusack, you're like, but he's John Cusack. He's going to turn around. <laughs> and I, He's going to turn this around. I think that would drive John Cusack nuts if he heard me say that. <laughs> if he heard me say, oh, yeah, I mean, I think I carried over some of his previous roles into this one and liked him more because of that. He would be like, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um. But but yeah, I when I was a teenager though, and first watched this movie, I was like, oh man, I I just yeah man, he's a good guy, and you know he did some bad stuff, but you know everyone he's a flawed hero, and mm-hmm. then like, at the older I've gotten, the more I've just been like, no, he's just a dick. Yeah, because once you have that experience <laughs> yourself, you realize okay, by his age, he needs to have a little more self awareness. If he was sixteen, fine. But that's mm-hmm. the problem. He stayed 16 till he was 30-something. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fantastic, though. Yeah, and, it's really uh, good. How, how much do you love that scene uh, where they're watching Marie DeSalle play and they're all like... Entranced by her. Entranced, <laughs> acting like children, like yes, when they're talking to her. But as, but as they're watching her play, they're like, I want to date a musician. I want to live with a musician. <laughs> I, w- I want, you know, some little in-joke between us in the liner note somewhere and a little picture of me somewhere in the background. Like, <laughs> I've had those thoughts. Like, Yeah, everybody has, especially when you, you know, go see someone live, somebody that, like, talented and, and, and beautiful. I, my favorite part of that scene is when he's walking in and he goes, is that fucking Peter, Peter Frampton? <laughs> he just, like, walks in ready to, like, just be upset and that the dude at the door who responds to that question i think he's my favorite actor in the movie like <laughs> it though it just it, 
just that knowing nod, like, yep. Like He's like, yep, that's the kind of club you're at. Sorry. Well, he also looks like he's answered that question a few times already. Like, a bunch of hapless... <laughs> A bunch of uh, hapless white schlubs have walked in and heard this and gone, oh, <laughs> like Peter I have Frampton. to, oh my gosh, like he just, he just looks so beside himself with that. <laughs> or, or maybe it could be translated like the way he plays it, the bouncer plays it is like, maybe he's experiencing the same thing. Like, right. Yeah. I, I never thought I would have liked that song. <laughs> But yeah, his is my favorite performance. I see a different thing in it every time I see him nod. And that's all he does is nod. And I'm like, where is that dude now? Like, is he... Because he was like the best actor of my youth. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. All right. Well, do you have any other scenes you wanted to uh, touch on? Oh... I could keep going, but I don't need to. I think I'm good. <laughs> okay. Well, we're getting getting you out of here at a pretty good time then. Give you some time before 10. Um, okay. Well, let's go to our last couple of questions then. Sure. Uh, so what keeps you coming back to this movie? Why do you think, why do you think you've seen it so many times? Um, the dialogue, first of all, I, I, I love the... Uh, I consider myself a writer of sorts anyway, but um, I, I really like reading um and i really like uh the way dialogue sounds on your ear like good dialogue sounds in your ear uh i you know i don't want to talk about justice league necessarily but i that's one of the <laughs> things i've liked about joss whedon over the years he writes really crisp really uh interesting dialogue mm-hmm. um so i there's i i like a lot of different like i love glenn gary glenn ross that's some of the best dialogue ever Mm-hmm. This movie has some of the best dialogue. Um, and it's just, and most of it's straight out of the Nick Hornby book. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I like how dry the humor is. And also the fact that, and it kind of plays to the theme of the movie, but I think a lot of times when there's a, you know, turning to the camera and talking, it's a much younger character, like mm-hmm. in high school or something like that. But this guy's like in his 30s and he's still doing that. And there's something like funny about that to me, you know, like it, it just plays into the theme of like he needs to kind of grow up. And so mm-hmm. I that puts like a layer of it for me. And then also it's John Cusack and like he's the perfect actor they could have picked to be someone that is in this position because we grew up with him, you know. So yeah. it's like funny to see that actor that was playing the kind of roles he's playing when he was younger. Now he's in his 30s and he's playing a stuck character. Like there's just something about that that I like. Um and we mentioned already that because he's so likable, it, it, it just makes the entire character more digestible. Absolutely. But, um, but I like that it's sort of, I said earlier, sort of a time capsule of the 2000s. And uh, it's fun to revisit that. And, and afterward, I just was left feeling like, okay, I want to just turn on some music and lay on the floor in my bedroom and listen to it like I did in high school, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Uh, is there like an elevator pitch that you would have for somebody like that hasn't seen this before? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I've never been able to do it. I just always said, you got to watch high fidelity. <laughs> I don't ha- I don't do well That's with elevator. Better. pitches. That's probably better because you're not like setting an expectation. You're just like, it's good. See it at the end. Like, yeah. You get what I, you want out of it. I usually just say it's one of my favorite movies. Oh, okay. Okay. I just, I like that. Because, Simple. you know, it's, uh, then you start getting into like, 
Well, so, uh, you, can't, you can't really talk about it in just an elevator pitch. It's hard because you're like, well, it's about this grumpy piece of shit who treats women terribly. But he owns a <laughs> record store and he's kind of cool. So, you know, you, you give it to him. Um, <laughs> yeah. You <don't, laughs> you're like, you have to see the movie, I think. Or you're, you might not want to see it by my description. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. I think that's I, fair. What keeps me coming back is this this entire episode. Everything I've already said. Like, yeah. I'm literally looking at the bullet points that I made in preparation for the show. And we've already talked about everything. That awesome. I've, for what keeps me coming back for the to, to the film, um, I will say what what I don't see here is I do continually notice um, more nuances than I've noticed before. Um, mm-hmm. uh, stuff in the background. What is that called? The the Misen scene. Is that right? I'm, just stuff they they throw in the background that like okay. in 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 the scenes in in their mm-hmm. uh, their houses. Uh, in the shop stuff that like plays into the themes of the movie plays into their yeah. characters um, I always see something different every time and it was just this time that I noticed there been this called Rare Bits that's totally <laughs> British I've never noticed it before um, but there, there are great subtleties in the performances you can see the cogs turning behind their eyes and Stephen Frears talked about like you know uh, you know, there are no bad actors. There are only bad castings. Yeah. And he did a really great job. He and, uh, I can't remember her name, but uh, the casting director, they've just found absolutely the right people to play these characters. And everyone, everyone has light behind their eyes. Everyone has the cogs moving behind their eyes. And I feel various emotions as you would with a real human being for every line that they give. Yeah. And I get something new out of the performances every time I watch it. Yeah. I, I, so this movie came out, I feel like in a time where there was a lot of like record store type movies, you don't really see them so much anymore. Um, and this is like a really good one. Mm -hmm. I guess that's my pitch. (laughs) This is a good one. It's (laughs) like I said, it's sort of a time capsule, but it's also a coming of age story in your thirties. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's very relatable, I think in a lot of ways. And, uh, and it's just a good film. I just enjoyed it. Cool. Um, so I think that wraps up here. Is there anything you want to plug? Um, DC on screen. We've been doing that for almost five years now. Uh, that's great. We talk about all the DC universe properties on film and television, the DCEU as it stands, the, uh, whatever else other DC movies they're making that are outside of that. <laughs> and um, we're getting really excited because, you know, a lot of people hate on the CW shows. We've done it ourselves from time to time, but um, man, we're excited about crisis on infinite earths. Yes. We're just so excited about that. And uh, we're loving Titans right now. And yes. um, we just, we're, we're talking about all that. We'll be doing another uh, recording, another episode. Um, tomorrow actually nice and um a lot of cool castings we have you know uh andy circus confirmed as alfred now officially by matt reeves for the batman lots of cool stuff talk to, to, to talk about and uh star trek universe podcast we're getting ready for uh star trek picard to come out and we've been yeah. doing uh, me and my buddy matt from the um marvel cinematic universe podcast we are talking 
we're doing like a, a primer, a Picard primer, we're calling it. Where we're okay. kind of going back and show and reviewing episodes from uh, Next Generation that deal a lot with um, Picard, Data, uh, the Borg. And then we're going to go and hit up uh, some Voyager uh, since Seven of Nine is in, in the yeah. new Picard show as well. And um, we're having fun talking about all that. Matt's actually, he's a singer-songwriter in real life. Cool. And um, he felt greatly inspired to start writing songs about each of these Picard primer episodes. So <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm having fun listening to those. Um, Yay. We're kind of releasing those in our feed, but Star Trek universe podcast, if you're, if you're down with the treks and um, I think that's it. I think that's it for now. Okay. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on. This is really fun. I'm so glad you picked this movie. It was just really fun to to revisit and to watch and digest all the way through and just talk about well thank you for having me and and uh and uh, i don't know (laughs) enjoying the movie that i liked (laughs) yeah of course it was really fun you're gonna have to think about what you would uh talk about if you came back blues brothers probably oh gosh i love that movie so much so so much yeah like a thousand times okay we'll have to we'll have to set a date for that then All right, well, uh, thank you again, and uh, have a good one. You too, ma'am.